Welcome to The Sweat Room, a podcast of Watermark Wesleyan Church. Get it, got it, give it. Here in The Sweat Room, we dive into today's questions about sports and faith. And now, here's your hosts, Noah and Bjorn. Well, welcome to The Sweat Room, everybody. We're so excited for today and that you're listening today. Uh, Bjorn, what's going on today? Who do we have on? Yeah, so today we get to interview former Pro Bowl linebacker Lorenzo Alexander, who just recently retired from the NFL. So welcome to the sweat room, Lorenzo Alexander. All right, today we want to welcome Lorenzo Alexander to the sweat room. Lorenzo Alexander is a husband, father of four, and a great football player, leader, mentor, and friend. Uh, he, he was signed by the Carolina Panthers as an undrafted free agent in 2005 and went on to play for various NFL teams over the next 15 years. He was a Pro Bowl linebacker and was known for being a versatile asset to his teams as he could play multiple positions at a high caliber level. We all know and love him for his heart for the community and for leading our beloved Buffalo Bills to end their 17-year, 17-season uh, playoff drought by making the playoffs in uh, two of the last three years and helping to set this franchise up for more success in the very new future. So thank you so much, Lorenzo, for being with us today. I appreciate you, brother. It's good to be on with you guys. All right, Lorenzo. Yeah. So to kick this off, we got we to gotta ask, you just retired. So what are two to three of your favorite memories in the NFL? Wow. Uh, you know, it's a long career, but um, and it's a lot of things that stick out. And so I've, ha I've had some just great plays. And so I, I would say the first thing that came to mind when you asked me that was I hit this dude from Philadelphia Eagles I think it was 2011 season or something either 2010 2011 um and this is when I was a little bit bigger so I was like 275 280 running down on kickoff and we play obviously when I was with the Redskins we played them in uh twice a year because they was in our division and so mm. I hit this kid twice Crazy. They tried to double team me one time. I beat the double team, killed him. Another time we had like a little schematic play where I would come over the top and I was just a free runner and I killed him again on, on kickoff and really set the tone for both those games. One we won, yes. one we lost. But that, that was a big memory because uh, it's, it's rare you get the same returner twice that same way. Um, another one was earlier in my career, 2007, uh, when I was doing more of the one-man game, playing multiple positions. It was actually versus the New York Giants. I actually played five positions in that game. And I was playing like the XO, the, the, the big tight end, as, as what we call as XO in, in football terms. And it was me and Chris Samuels, who's another great player. Uh, hopefully he gets in the Hall of Fame one day. And uh, I forgot who we were blocking. I want to say his number was 53. But we double-teamed this dude. It was really to, to end the game. Double-teamed this dude. Drove him back like five, seven yards and put him on his back. And uh, we ended up getting the first down on the play. And then I will say with the Buffalo Bills at the end of my career, was having that 12-and-a-half sack season and, and going to the Pro Bowl, going to the playoffs. That, oh, no, we didn't go to the playoffs yet, but, but Pro Bowl and then winning Pro Bowl MVP. Uh, intercepting uh, Kirk Cousins, you know, who I played with when his rookie year in Washington. And yes, sir. pitching the ball and, and having a big play and they end up winning a, a, a cool car at the end. So those are probably like my three highlights that, that's kind of popped in my mind when you mentioned that. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. that that's, that's so fun to hear. And, and I love that, you know, your, your memories are from, you know, various different teams, various different seasons, and they're all kind of special in their own way. Uh, so, you know, Lorenzo, we all know you as, you know, at the end of your career, you were, you know, 
the veteran in that team. You were the leader in the locker room, all that stuff. Somebody that I'm sure so many young players looked up to. Um, but was there a teammate that you looked up to um, during some time in your career, somebody that maybe taught you something or that you admired? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's a, it a ton of guys. Um, and that's something that I really learned after I was done to, to really be intentional about seeking out those individuals uh, because uh, guys like, uh, you know, even late in my career, Kyle Williams, you know, Larry Fitzgerald, when I was already kind of established those guys, I still look towards to really help yeah. me grow um, as a leader, as a man. But I will say the, the person that was probably the most influential on me uh, was London Fletcher. Um, he, was a, a, he played in Buffalo, um, obviously a great person, um, great character, led in the community, and then was a very dominant football player. And so when I was in Washington, um, I think we played from 2007 to 2012 together. And so we had a lot of time uh, um, where our relationships could grow. We both had kids similar age. Our wives were very close. And so before every game, I would ride to the games with them. And our hotel was like 45 minutes away from where, where most guys lived at. And so riding there and then also to the game was probably another 20 minutes. And so on top of just practice and being in the same meeting room with him, I used to get at least an hour to myself, just ride to a game and just talking about life, you know, some of the things that he struggled with growing up. Um, some of the adversity that he faced, and I was just able to pick his brain every single day and what made him great, um, how did he overcome certain situations, you know, how did he handle being a father and a, and a husband. And so it was just really cool to uh, get to know him on that intimate level where he became more of a big brother in his family. And so London Fletcher by far probably had the most influential uh, impact or was the most influential guy in my life uh, as far as playing in the NFL. Mm -hmm. What what made those guys so special, like London Fletcher? What made him just so like what made him so different? Um, you know, he was a great athlete, a great football player, but I, I, it was for me, it was more of the off the field, um, the character, the leadership, the accountability aspect. You know, you see him with his family, how he treated people. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's like attention to detail, you know, so he just didn't live. He just wasn't a great football player. And that's something else, you know, I've kind of been trying to tell young athletes too. He really focused on and figured out early in his career that he needed to become a great man at some point. And then that everything else that he did was going to be more, was going to be impactful versus which I think a lot, a lot of people do in whatever career they find him in. They try to be a great football player or a great doctor and they kind of compartmentalize all those attributes that make them good in that particular area. And then once they leave that, like, man, why is this dude's life or this lady's life so just jacked up? You know, it's because they just compartmentalize it. And so he was really one of the first guys that shared with me what it looked like to be a great man first and then all the impact and the byproducts of having grapefruit look like because of that decision he made of being a, becoming a great man and, and really developing a, a relationship with Christ. Because like myself, he... At one point in the time, I was in the league, and he wasn't a Christ follower, and they made that that transition. And I was just good to be, luckily enough, to be around him when he had made that, and 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 got a lot of that uh, wisdom off of him of as far as what that looked like, practically looking at him, and then a lot of wisdom just having those conversations. That's awesome. Um, I, another question I, I think a lot of a lot of people probably have, and just in, in regards of being an NFL athlete, what's it like being? A husband, a dad, and an NFL athlete. What's what's that like? 
Um, it's hard. It's, I think it's like anything. You have to learn how to be um, good at time management and how to refocus, um, I think, your priorities and energy in a lot of ways because, you know, for you to make it to the NFL, that has most likely been your main objective for the majority of your life. You know, most guys start playing until they're at, at the age of, you know, six or seven. I didn't play until high school, but I had dedicated eight, ten, ten years of being a football player, and you can add on more years of being just an athlete. And so that was my main objective, you know, trying to be a professional athlete, whatever that looked like, basketball or football, baseball. And um, I think when I first got married, I didn't really understand what it meant to, to really be a father, to be a husband, and transitioning some of that, those priorities took, um, took some time for me. And I think I shared this the other day. I remember when I was a young husband and a young father of uh, going away to train because that's what I had always done. I had trained with a specific guy that I was very comfortable in my routine. And I didn't understand that I needed to shift the priority from being a football player to really being a focusing on my family because they should have been my priority. And understand I could really train anywhere. And it wasn't necessarily that guy, even though I enjoyed him, that was helping me. It was really making sure that my, my life was aligned properly. And so um, as I got older, obviously I realized putting stress on my marriage wasn't going to allow me to train the way I wanted to anyway. And so it was just counterproductive. And then that I needed to be there to point to my wife and to point to my kids and continue to have that bond. And so it was something that I learned over time. And, it, and it's still difficult because football is so um, time consuming, especially during the season. And so what I found that I always tried to carve out time during the season. So whether it was making sure I could go to the games that I could go to, help coach when I could help coach, um, making sure I had a date night for me and my wife every night, having a Bible study with my wife when we had like the team Bible studies, doing those things and making sure I carved that time out and make it sacred. And then also in the off season, making sure that they came first. And so I would, I would structure my workouts around taking the kids to school. Uh, if my wife had to do something, you know, whether it was workout or like she's taking um, um, a uh, real estate class now, you know, making sure that my schedule was around there so that I could serve them. Unlike when I was earlier, you had to schedule your schedule around me. Um, and so that was something that I really learned. And as obviously I've matured, my relationship is, has benefited from that. Being a father with, to my kids has benefited from that as well. And um, I think that's always a hard transition because when you become married, you become a servant and it's no longer really about you when you talk about a relationship, you know, with your wife and your kids. Yeah, that's, that's so good. That's, I, I love hearing about, you know, just, you know, some of the things you've gone through and really, you know, the ways you've learned over the years. That's so cool. So, so what is, what is a typical Sunday going to look like for you this year? As <laughs> you know, now you're retired, you're not playing. Like what, what's that going to look yeah. like for you? now? Well, I'll get to go to church, you know, um, a lot more. Obviously, we had team chapels uh, the night before games on Saturdays, and that's how we got our word um, as far as like a church, you know, um, something similar to church. So, But now I get to go to our church out here, Grace Covenant, go to the first service. I'm sure the boys are going to want to watch the Bills or the Cardinals play. We know guys, and then whatever game is on that, I may know one of the, one of the guys on the team, like Aaron Rodgers or Cam Jordan, guys that I that I know from Cal or just from playing in the league that we'll watch it when the games come on. Um, but it, it definitely, you know, around, around football still will be included in it. And 
So we still watch a lot of games and just kind of hang out. I get to eat and tailgate. And when I come to get Bill games, I actually get to experience Bill's Mafia much differently uh, than I have in the past. And so I'm looking forward to, to actually seeing that because I've never been a part of any really pregame celebrations because I've always been so focused and locked in and, you know, what didn't have the time to kind of indulge in, in that part of uh, the football aspect. Oh, that's so cool. What what did uh, Faith look like on the Bills and just even your time in the NFL? Yeah, I would say um, the Bills definitely has a, a unique culture uh, that has Faith built in or is, is really focused on it. it, it um, you know, I played in the league 15 years, but I can't think of any other place that I've been where the team chaplain was such an integral part and had really integrated into um, the organization. And so he had his own office at the facility. Uh, he sat in on meetings, particularly defensive meetings, because he had a defensive a background being a high school football coach um, and really had free reign of the building where in other places he was kind of offsite. You got to make sure you check in and call. You can't go into meetings. You can't go into the locker room. And so I think a lot of that is because Sean understands the importance of faith. He's a Christian himself and is trying to become better and understands that, like I said before, um, if you are a better man, and I don't know what other better man than Christ that ever walked this planet. And so he understands the closer you draw to him, um, everything else in your life is, is going to benefit as well. You know, family, uh, impact on the community, and then obviously being a football player uh, because all those principles translate to whatever you decide to do. And so he knows it's, it's important, obviously, for the organization here and now, but ultimately when guys walk away from this game, if they have a foundation built in, in Christ and who they are away from this game, um, they have a much uh, higher ability to make that transition into the, the next 20, 30, 40 years of your life and still be able to operate and function at a high level because you've tied yourself with Christ and not football. Um, and so um, it was really unlike any other place I've been. You know, we got a chance to baptize a few of our teammates and coaches and their wives. I mean, so there's really no other place like that. And, and it's actually really cool to see the progression. And I think it faith has probably been has been more of the forefront on more teams and you see it obviously through social media, Instagram, Twitter, things of that nature. Unlike when I first got into a league, I, I can remember at halftime a coach saying, I don't want no Christians on the field. I want, I want thugs. I was like, what? Oh man. You know? <laughs> and this is before I had given my life to Christ, really. And I and I and I, and I was like, what is he? What? It didn't make any make any sense. And so I, you know, there were, for a long time, I think there was a stigma around being a Christian in the locker room, even though you had guys like Reggie White um, that stood on his faith, and there was nothing soft about Reggie White, the way he played that game. Sure, I think there sure. was, had always Absolutely. been like a stigma, especially if he wasn't a Christian yourself or didn't have, you know, a relationship with Christ that, um, you know, people think of turning the other cheek and uh, laying down your life and not really understanding what that means, you know, surrendering. And they, they tag that or right. associate that with being soft and passive and, and not being able to, to lead and, and be physical and, you know, all those traits that, that football demand of you. 
um, if you were a Christian. And so it's been really cool to see the progression, obviously, in my own life as I've gotten farther away from that sentiment of being soft and Christian to being, um, you know, strong, powerful, peace of mind, and really trying to um, uh, lean in on Christ on a, on a daily basis. Mm. And we yeah, have led... Oh, go ahead, Bjorn. I was going to say that that's, that's so cool to hear about your, you know, your journey about how, you know, it's, it started one place, but it's grown and developed and matured over your years and just how you're continuing to learn. And I know just what, it, what that looks like to, to walk with right. Christ. And could you maybe tell us a little bit about, you know, how you first came to know Christ? And, and you mentioned you were in the NFL as not a believer at first. So right. could you maybe tell us like where, where that started and, and how that came about? Well, I mean, I think the seed has always been planted um, in my life at different times from different people. And God was always trying to tug at my heart. And so it initially, um, and, and, and when I say not a believer, like I believe in God, but I, I wasn't trying to follow him. You know, I, you know, I was lukewarm and understood uh, who he was in somebody else's life and what the Bible, because I went to Catholic school, uh, elementary and high school. So I understood from a religious standpoint, but there was no relationship there. And so he had been tugging at my heart for a long time, starting with my grandmother, uh, you know, going to church with her and she forced me to go. And I really don't want to go because I'm a young and immature young little boy. Um, in college, he put guys like Justin Forsett, you know, in my pathway who was, you know, mature beyond his years as far as his maturity and, and what it meant to be a Christ follower. Um, it was just amazing even to watch him and how he handled, you know, being in the locker room, his relationships with women at the young age of, you know, 18, 19, and, and what that meant. And so I saw it. I saw glimpses of it. But I wasn't at a point to where I was willing to make that my own reality and surrender my life to him. And it really wasn't until, um, you know, you face real adversity. I wouldn't even say real adversity because it's about being undrafted and just being in a bad place. Um, with my spirit and soul and not really understanding what that was being in the NFL and waking up with regret and like, man, you know, why did I do that? Or, you know, what am I missing? Um, and having all those type of thoughts where you have, you know, I made a team and making decent, make pretty good money and you have all these things, but not feeling fulfilled. And, you know, people talk about it, but I was actually experiencing it. Um, and once I got to Washington, uh, in 2006, I started, you know, being around guys like a James Thrash, uh, Renato Wynn, Antoine Randall-Lale. We had a great pastor there, uh, um, Brett Fuller, who's a pastor at Grace Covenant Church. Um, and I got to see it on a consistent level of what it meant to be a Christ follower. And these guys were playing ball at a high level, but more importantly, they off the field. You can see how they were relating with their, with their kids and their families. They wasn't talking about it. And then I'd be out in the club and they was out in the club with me like I had seen before. And so there was a real difference in how they live their lives on a daily basis and the way they showed up to work and the light, regardless if we won or lost or, you know, something, there was something different about them. Um, um, and so being around that for an extended period of time and then starting to build relationships with those guys and them being intentional about pouring in me and I started experiencing discipleship for the first time, um, that that's when uh, God, Jesus became real with me and really being able to build, start building a relationship. And um, 
you know, really when I started surrendering my life, it was right when Sean Taylor passed. Um, that really just, I think, fast forwarded everything for me because here was a guy that was actually going through, I think, the similar transition as far as uh, what it meant to be a, a follower of Christ and really maturing um, as a man, his life was taken away from him and we were the same age. And so by the end of that season, wow. 2007, I decided to give my life to Christ. Uh, because at that point I was looking around, I was like, man, what, what real impact or legacy have I left beyond myself? Mm. And, it, and it was nothing. And, um, and so, uh, at the end of that year, 2007, and I actually had met my, had met my wife being girlfriend at the time. And gave my life. She gave her life. We ended up getting baptized uh, around the same time, and and wow. it was just uh, it was just uh, you know it was a life changing experience. Two thousand seven for me, and then we got married in two thousand eight, um, and been married obviously ever since. And I've been trying to grow closer to, to Christ since then, and making sure that I continually lean in on Him, um, regardless of how. Uh, blessed because i think when people say blessed they think about things around them right and so i have a nice house and a nice car and uh you know we're comfortable but i don't want that to allow me to take my eyes off of the anchor that gave me the characteristics and the power and the ability uh by living a certain way to achieve those things um and so mm. that's where it started you know washing redskins with those men living a certain life and now i've been trying to grow closer to Christ and be that light that those men were for me in other guys' lives since then. Mm. That's so good. I I know I because I when the whole thing with Sean Taylor happened, Bjorn and I were like kids. And I still remember him as one of the the best safeties, the up and coming yeah. so yeah for sure. So I, I can't yeah, so, even imagine, especially being, you know, in your early career and something like that just totally shakes you, you know? Right. Yeah, it does. You know, we both were 23. I mean, and this dude, I mean, he was talented. And I think as an athlete, a lot of times, especially as a young athlete, uh, you have this sense of immortality about you as well. Like, you know, death, I'm not even thinking about death, you know, <laughs> and then that hits you. Right right in the face, somebody you know, you see it every single day, like, man, we can die today? You're like, you know, it's, it, it becomes yeah. real. Um, and so, you know, you just start thinking about life on a whole different level, and, and you know, you really start trying to seek some truth, and, and Christ is, is, the, is the truth that, I, that I, I, I ran into just by those other guys living the way they live. That's so good. Yeah, so, so since then, has there you know, you've talked about your journey, you know, meeting Christ and everything. Has there been a, you know, a spiritual mentor for you, somebody who's helped you, you know, help disciple you and, and sort of, you know, help you along the way? Yeah. I mean, there's been different guys at different times. Uh, like I mentioned, uh, you know, all those guys at some point, you know, whether it's London, Ronaldo, James Thrash, Antoine, um, those have been guys that to really help me grow, um, initially. Pastor Brett, I used to meet with him like on a weekly basis to really grow. Um, and then uh, I think God moved me from from Washington because uh, I really wanted to stay there. Uh, they offered me, and I wanted to stay. And then for whatever reason, they 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 reneged on the deal, and I and I moved. And looking back, it was really to for me to 
grow. Cause I think sometimes in your in your in your walk too, you get comfortable. Let other guys kind of lead you. Yeah. Um, what you need as well, but you kind of just stay in your box, right? I'm just gonna stay right here because I'm good. So <laughs> uh he moved me to Phoenix and then out of that I had to take more of a leadership role there. Um and I and I and I really didn't have um a mentor when I was in Phoenix. I think that was a season of me becoming more of a leader and and helping that locker room and kind of stepping out and growing in my faith. And mm-hmm. so there we had more of a uh, a small group of brothers that we cut on each other. So I think about uh, Sam Macho, who I'm really good friends with today out of that, Carson Palmer, um, uh, Drew Stanton. Uh, we just had a real good group that we then started to minister to other guys. And so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Larry Foote was a part of that team. Uh, Frosty Rucker, you know, helping him. Uh, 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 Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew. There's a young guy that we got. You guys had a squad. You had a squad, man. man. Rashad Johnson. We just had a lot of great Christian men on that team that was more of us leading and cutting on each other. And I think that was the season of me being in Arizona and what I needed there. And I think that same thing carried over to to Oakland when then I was with um, Derek Carr, uh, Marcel uh, Reese, um, and some other guys where we continued that leadership. And then when I got to Buffalo – um, what was my man's name? Uh, first name is James. Played DB receiver for the for the for the Raiders for a long time. He became more of a mentor mm. uh, to me. And then we have our current chaplain, who who was huge for me, um, Lynn Vandenbos. We we've he had was, Lynn on the on the podcast. Oh, have you? Great. Yeah, so yeah. great awesome guy. Dude. Uh, he was intentional about discipling me and a few other guys on our team. Uh, and then challenged us to do the same in our locker room. And so that's why, I mean, because of him, I think that's why, it, you know, you walk in that locker room, it's a different sense than anywhere you've ever been. And guys say that every time they go to a different place and then we end up playing them, it's like, man, it's, we close here, but it's something different. Something I don't know what it is. And, and I know, I mean, it's family. Right, right it's, family, it's just different. <laughs> and so Ben Vandenbos has been huge. And then I would also say uh, Leslie Frazier. Mm-hmm. Um, Great human being, uh, awesome man of God. You know, he comes out of that Tony Dungy tree, mm. and we know how how um, faithful Tony Dungy is and, and what he's meant to the NFL and, and being really a, a person we can look to of what it looks to do, you know, coaching and playing, uh, chasing after God's heart. And so being around him and being able to talk to him, you know, mm. going into his meetings for 45 – or his uh, office for 45 minutes here and there and just talk about life. Uh, was huge for me as I got ready to transition away from the game because he's done that and what that looks like, having a family, having a wife, having kids. And so that's really been huge for me as of late. And that's kind of how my progression of kind of discipleship, mentor discipleship has kind of went. And, and now I'm kind of back in a, in a role of being a leader, going through this transition and partnering with a local church and a pastor that I, I knew when I was in Washington who also played and we actually helped start their church here in, uh, Virginia, as far as they, they were using our home when I played in Arizona to do their initial meetings to kind of set everything up. We left, came back, and they have a building and grown so much, and now I get the chance to kind of um, reintegrate with what they're doing um, now here in, in the Phoenix area. So it's uh, it's definitely a bright future, and I'm, and I'm looking forward to it. And, and now we're kind of with that pastor, um, Demo kind of cutting on each other and going through a leadership book and, and just trying to grow closer together as well as God. Well, thank you, Lorenzo, for part one of your interview today. Bjorn, what were 
some of your thoughts from, from today. Yeah. Oh man. It is incredible to talk to Lorenzo. And I just, I think back to, um, you know, last year when he was in Buffalo and, and sort of when, when Lorenzo and I first met and just how awesome it has been to, to, to get to know him. And, you know, he used to, you know, let him into our gym to, you know, play basketball with his kids, teach his son basketball and everything. And just, you know, being able to see him as a family man, it has just been incredible. Um, just outside of his platform as an NFL athlete, seeing him as a father uh, just has been really influential for me. And I, I've loved seeing that and just seeing the real aspect of him and just the real side that he's a, he's a real person and he's got a family and he's got things going on in his life. And, you know, he really does have his priorities straight with his faith and his family. Um, and it's been fun hearing his story. So Noah, what were some of your big takeaways from today? Yeah, I, I loved him just talking about just like, his time in the NFL and then just some of the guys that have just had a huge impact in his life. And he, he put a lot of names in there, like guys like London Fletcher, Antoine Randall, Isle, Justin Forsett. And he talked a little about Larry Fitzgerald, Ty- Tyron Matthew a little bit. I, those guys are amazing athletes. And I know a lot of them have a big impact in the NFL, but the biggest one for me was when he was talking about Sean Taylor um, and if some of you listeners don't know who Sean Taylor was, go watch his highlights on YouTube. He was a beast of a safety. Yes, sir. And Bjorn and I were just kids. Like, we were little, little. So, but he he was amazing, and he tragically died. He's, it, was, it was awful. And so, for me, like him, that was kind of Lorenzo's come to Jesus moment. And I, I thought that was so powerful. Um, and, and when he was just talking about when – you know, during his time in Buffalo, he's never seen kind of just like really a, a spiritual climate like Buffalo. And I, I love that. And kind of like key guys that he talked about was was Len Vandenboss, who we've had on the podcast, uh, and just the impact that he's had. And Leslie Frazier, um, one of the D coordinators. So I, I just loved hearing that. And, you know, just what, what how much of, of an impact Buffalo has had in his life. So I've loved hearing that and just even how Christ is moving in his life right now. So that was, it was so good. So thank you, Lorenzo, for, for part one of that interview today. Yeah, and I'm excited to get in next week to part two, where we get to talk to Lorenzo a little bit more about uh, just how faith, football, family, and all of that, what that means to him. And, and next week, we'll get to talk a little bit about what Lorenzo's going to do next and, and what it, you know, now that he's retired from the NFL, what's going to happen next. So Tune in next week, everyone, to part two of this interview with Lorenzo Alexander. Thank you for listening to The Sweat Room, where we get it, got it, and give it. Thanks for listening to The Sweat Room, a podcast of Watermark Wesleyan Church. 